happened, a, a time in your life where you really went through something and you just asked yourself the question, so where is God when I need him? It's as if there are times when God just feels far away. You need him. You need him now. You need him to intervene now. And it feels as if he's just not listening. As if he is far away. When in fact, he's not. The opposite is true. God is very, very close to his own. Very close to his children. In fact, he's close to his creation. If God is not close to his creation, his creation cannot exist. Because it's God that keeps his creation intact. But we are emotional beings now. We have feelings. And that's the thing that we have to fight against many times. Because it's in our feelings that we might feel, so where is God when I really need him? Now, let's read Exodus chapter 2. Is the Sunday school still out? It's closed. All right. Before we read, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can come to you this morning in the glorious, wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The name above all names, the only name through which we can be saved. Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And thank you for your revelation, Father. Thank you for revealing to us what you've done whether it be in the Old Testament or whether it be in the New Testament, whether it be with Israel or whether it be with the church. Thank you for your revelation. And I pray this morning as we read your word and as we study or as we expound on what you have said and what we read, I pray, Father, that you will open up our hearts to receive and our minds to understand so that you may be glorified in our lives. And the next time that we feel that you are far off and whether you and we feel and ask the question whether you are really interested in our circumstances, Father, that this passage of Scripture will come back to us and what was said about it, so that you may be glorified in and through our lives every single day. As we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, Exodus chapter two. We're only going to read verse twenty-three to twenty-five. Now, obviously, there's some history behind this. I will share some history or historical background with you, but um, just amazing passages of Scripture. Verse 23 says the following, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to the Lord because of the bondage. Verse 24, so God heard the groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Just up to there. What an amazing few verses in God's Word. So let's look at a little bit of historical background just to kind of give us a, an idea of what we are looking at here. Um, in verse 23, there's a man mentioned there. He's just mentioned as the king of Egypt. Now, we know historically that is Ramses II, or Ramses, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but Ramses II. And he reigned as king of Israel for 67 years. Quite a long time. 
47 of those years he reigned alone and 20 of those years he reigned with his father. I wonder how that went. Because it's not an easy thing for two kings to be reigning at the same time. But he reigned in total for 67 years. Now when Ramses II died, uh, he um, oppressed the Israelites through the things... Um, Sorry, when he died, uh, the oppressed Israelites thought that things might change now. Because there was something that they normally did in those days is when there's a new king that came in, whether it's Israel, um, not Israel, whether it's Egypt or other countries, but in Egypt specifically, if a new, come, a new king comes in, what he would sometimes do is to reverse the policy of his predecessor. So they were hoping that this new king that is now on the horizon, that is now taken over from Ramses II. By the way, he was a tough king. They hoped that he would reverse some of these policies, and one of those policies obviously would be slavery, because Israel was in slavery at that specific stage. Israel hoped that the new king, and that was um, Menephtah, something like that, Menephtah, I'm not Egyptian, so I can't pronounce those words. Um, but it sounds like Menephtah, something like that. The first, uh, he was the son of Ramses II, that he would step, uh, stop the oppression that Israel was under because they were going through tough times. Now, I want you to notice that Israel wasn't expecting deliverance from God. They were waiting for deliverance from the king. They expected this new king of Egypt to have mercy on them. Because before that, they didn't cry out to God. But now, all of a sudden, we hear him or hear them cry out to God. Such a sad place to be. Very, very sad. Because I believe that Israel was relying on the arm of flesh to, del to, to deliver them. Now, if you go to Jeremiah chapter 17, turn there with me quickly. Jeremiah chapter 17, very, very important passage of Scripture. Obviously, this is a, this is a prophecy or in one of the major prophets. We're going to read from verse 5 to verse 8. This is what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. And this is how God feels about anybody who relies on flesh rather than to rely on God. It's serious. It's really, really serious. And it's, I believe it's something that we need to take to heart. We can't just read over it and, and then kind of say, oh, okay, it's not that serious. But listen to what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Verse 7. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in uh, who, uh, whose trust is the Lord. Verse 8. 
He is like a tree planted by water. And that sends out its roots by the stream. And does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. See the difference? The person that relies on the arm of flesh is cursed. Does not bear fruit. Because that person is like someone who is planted in a desert and there's no water. When you plant a tree, for example, when you plant a tree in the desert, in the sand, there's no water. That tree is going to die. But blessed is a person who trusts in the Lord. And the Lord becomes that person's trust, which means their focus is completely and perfectly on the Lord himself. That person is like someone who's planted next to a stream of the most awesome, beautiful water. I've just added some stuff in there. And that tree will always, or that, that yeah, let's call it the tree, that tree will always bring forth fruit. Because even if the heat hits that tree, it will not destroy the tree. And why? Very simple. It's talking about a person. Eh? Because that person's trust is in the Lord. It's because that tree's roots are in the water. And that's the way it is with those who trust the Lord with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength and everything that is in them. And that's what was supposed to happen to Israel. You see, Israel unfortunately placed their trust in man to deliver them and not in God. And the reality was that even though Israel looked to the new king for deliverance, this new king did not stop slavery. And it kind of made me think of what we hear all over the world of people who, be, who are being oppressed, people who are being persecuted, uh, people who are being mistreated, people who are, because we still have slaves today, now you know that. You, you have the whole human trafficking. That's, a, that's slavery. That's modern-day slavery. And you hear these, the, the people cry out that governments has to do something about it. The leaders of the world has to do something about it. And they're doing exactly the same thing Israel did. By putting their trust in the arm of flesh rather than in God. Beloved, and the, the scary thing is that Christians do this. They put their trust in the arm of flesh. I've listened to many, many Christians, believers, how much they trust their governments to provide for them. And I think to myself, wow, have you read what God said through the prophet Jeremiah? Because we need to take to heart what God has said. You, you see, God is not someone who plays around with his word, with his revelation. What God reveals is the truth. And we have to adapt our lives in accordance to his truth. It's not your truth and my truth and whatever you decide is fine and whatever I decide is fine. No, 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 no. There's an objective truth that comes from God and we have to all submit to his objective truth. So, beloved, Israel was in a very tight spot because they were relying on the arm of flesh, on a Gentile king, to take away the slavery 
so that they could be free. Now, instead of stopping, or the king was supposed to, hopefully, they wanted him to stop the slavery, but instead it seems as if the oppression of the Jewish people became worse. It became worse. In fact, the fact that the oppression became worse then did something in Israel. What did they do? Did they call out a day of fasting or a week of fasting to seek the face of the Lord and to cry out to Him as the living Almighty God and put their full trust and faith in Him that He can deliver them? Nope. It's not what Israel did. The text tells us that they started groaning. They were moaning before God. And, and you must remember that if we talk about groaning or moaning, that means that you are now blaming someone for the situation you are in. People that groan and people that moan are blaming someone else instead of taking responsibility for their own lives. And let me tell you, most of the time, you will find that people are not trusting God. They're trusting in self. And they're trusting in someone else, but they're not trusting in God and Him alone. Because if they do trust in God, they will always bear fruit in their circumstances. And if it be God's will, God will always deliver them from their circumstances. Because that is the God we serve. But Israel, they moaned. Israel started groaning. And for the full reign of Ramses II, that's 67 years, Israel were slaves. And now under the new king, the slavery just continued. And Israel thought, we just need to wait for this Ramses II to die. When he dies, things will be better. Sound familiar? Let's just wait for this bad leader or that bad leader. Let's just wait for them to die. Because if they die, then everything is going to be better. Let's just wait for this government to take over that government and then everything will be better. You can hear it. Now you've, have you heard this buzzing all over the place about the elections next year? If you want a better South Africa, it's time to vote differently beloved I believe it's time for us to see God's face we've got the highest murder rate in the world our people are being destroyed we've got the highest unemployment rate in the world and who do people look to who's going to fix it government It's not true. Well, if you don't know Christ, or you don't know God, and you don't know what God's word has to say, then obviously you will rely on government. But believers are supposed to understand that we trust in God. And it's amazing that even then in the circumstances that I'm in, I will bear fruit unto him. I will bring him glory. It doesn't mean my circumstances are going to be changed or my circumstances change. It just means that I'm going to bring him glory even in my circumstances. 
Beloved, we are Christians. We're different. We're not as the world is. We're not. Our trust and our hope is in the eternal God, the creator of heaven and earth. Beloved, think of this for a moment. Here we have Israel, the chosen people of God. Remember when God called Abraham? He said to Abraham, and he called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he called him and he said, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. And obviously, from the seed of Abraham, the seed, singular, Christ, the Messiah, would come. Absolutely amazing. These are God's chosen people. But where do they find themselves? They find themselves in Egypt, in slavery. The people of God. Come on, if it had to happen today and you grab a bunch of evangelicals and you make them slaves, what's going to happen? They're going to toy-toy their hearts out. They'll burn the place down. We're talking about the people of God here. God's chosen people. They are the nation of God and they're slaves in Egypt. And while in Egypt as slaves, God blessed them and they increased in numbers. They became more and more and they became stronger and stronger. And the harder the king would drive them, the stronger they would become and the more work they could do. Why? Because God was enabling them to do it even in their circumstances. Because remember... Indeed, Israel is God's chosen people. God was busy with his people. And um, the reason why they were in slavery at that specific stage was to sort out a few issues that Israel had. Even when Ramses II gave an order to kill the babies in Israel, you remember? God saved Moses. In a miraculous way. And he grew up with the king. Well, with the king's daughter. But he grew up in the palace. Absolutely amazing. You see, God already decided to deliver Israel from Egypt. That's why Moses was born. That's why God saved Moses. That's why Moses, when... He killed the Egyptian when he fled. Nobody followed him. And yes, he lived in the desert for 40 years and he would come back when he was 80 years old and he would lead Israel out of Egypt. God already decided there would be deliverance for Israel. But no, Israel had a different way of looking at things. I think they became slaves in their minds. And in their hearts, they became slaves instead of being the chosen people of God in slavery. You hear the difference? If Israel were in slavery 
and they were doing everything to the glory of God, that means that they would work and they would labor, and even if they suffer, they would suffer to the glory of God. But that's not how Israel looked at things. Because remember when uh, Moses killed that Egyptian? The people of Israel turned against him. And he was defending Israel. He was born an Israelite. But they attacked him. Later on when he came to deliver Israel, they had so many questions. They didn't believe Moses that he was going to deliver them from slavery. Instead of crying or calling out to God to deliver them, Israel groaned. Now listen to verse 24. Keep your finger on that, that spot in the Bible because we're going to work through those verses quickly. It says, so God heard their groaning. God heard their groaning. When Israel went through their suffering, the suffering of slavery at that stage, and obviously they were going through a very, very tough time. Slaves in those days were not treated well. Not at all. God heard the groaning. And it's true that people who suffer, they groan. I've, I've, I can tell you out of experience in my own life, to give you an example, a few times I found myself groaning during this process that I've been having cancer. It's just this moaning going on. As if my life was in my own hands. If God didn't know what he was doing. That I couldn't trust God and I had to trust in my own strength and my own power and my own abilities. But that's what people do who suffer. They groan. And remember the intenseness of the groaning all depends on how intense the suffering is. The more intense the suffering, the more the groaning. The more intense the suffering, the more intense the groaning will be. Now, it's interesting to notice that people who suffer don't think that God hears them. Eh? Especially those who really go through a time of, of serious suffering. It feels to them as if God is afar off. As if the question just pops up in the mind, God, where are you when I need you? I need you now, more than ever before. And they don't believe or they don't think that God hears them. Some people believe again that if you make a loud enough noise, maybe God will hear. So shout as loud as you can. Do a few things to kind of get God's attention. Hopefully he will hear. See, the louder the noise, hopefully God will listen. That's not true, by the way. Because our text tells us that God heard the groaning of his people. He heard it. Because God is close to his people. God loves his people. It might feel as if God is not listening, but God hears everything. He is the almighty God, man. Remember that. Don't forget that Moses was already being prepared by God to lead Israel out of slavery. 
God's plan of salvation was already at work long before Israel cried out to God by groaning. Beloved, don't think for a moment that God doesn't hear you when you cry. Especially when you cry out to him. When you are in need. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15, And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked, asked of him. What a beautiful verse. Just kind of underline those two verses. Beautiful. God hears us. Why? We are his children. We belong to him. It doesn't mean that he will not allow us to go through tough times. It doesn't mean that at all. It, it doesn't mean that he will allow us to go through serious and tough trials in our lives. But when we cry out to him, he always hears us. Because that's who God is. Obviously, we must make sure that we ask in accordance to God's will. And it's important to remember, beloved, that it's a privilege to be heard by God. It's a privilege. God doesn't have to listen to our groanings. He's God. He doesn't have to. He's not obliged, obliged to listen to the times that we cry and moan and groan about our circumstances. The question is, what gives us the right to think that God must hear us? See, when God hears our groaning, or our groanings, it is because he chose to hear us. He doesn't have to. Nothing forces him to listen to us, to hear us. And by the way, something that's just interesting that I wanted to share with you is that God is our creator, you know? and he's the upkeeper of creation. So what is interesting is that he decides to hear his own even while he is looking after his creation. He's looking after everything. While he's upkeeping his creation, he still listens to his people groaning. Absolutely amazing. The God that we worship. Then, beloved, we need to understand that we are sinful. Israel was sinful. And uh, even in our sinfulness, God still hears us. But he's not obliged to listen to us. I believe that we need to be very careful of arrogance when it comes to crying out to God. Because sometimes our crying out to him sounds like a, 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 how can I say, a lot of commands. We expect God to do the following and then we give him our to-do list. God, listen to me. I need the following. Or maybe I want the following. And then here comes my list. Don't be arrogant towards God. When God listens, 
He listens because he's a loving heavenly father. He doesn't have to. Don't ever think because we at one stage in our life gave our hearts to Jesus or we did the sinner's prayer or we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we repented of our sin that because we did that, it gives us the right to now groan and moan before God and give him our to-do list and he has to hear us. Don't be that arrogant. Don't be that arrogant towards God. When we ask, we need to ask in accordance to his will, which means I need to first find out what his will is and then ask in accordance to his will. Beloved, don't ever think that God owes us anything. Even your salvation and my salvation is an act of grace. It's a gift. God owes us nothing. Don't be that arrogant to think that we are more than what we really are. Now listen very carefully. If we say that God hasn't heard us when we cry out to him, and this is the other side of the coin, we make him a liar. Because God hears everything, beloved. God hears absolutely everything. It doesn't mean that he's going to react to everything. But he hears everything. So don't ever, ever think when you cry out to him or somebody else cried out to him that God doesn't listen or God doesn't hear. God hears. In verse 24 we read, So God heard their groaning. So God heard Israel, his chosen people, when they cried out to him. And I believe that God will hear us. I'll go back to verse 24 again. It says, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Beloved, why did God hear Israel? Why? It's because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why God heard Israel's groaning and moaning before him. God doesn't have to hear anyone, for he's God. And, and God specifically doesn't have to listen to sinners. The only time that God listens to a sinner is if they repent. They bow their knees before him, confess their sin, repent of their sin and turn away from it. That's when God listens to a sinner. And I've heard so many testimonies of sinners that says, I cried out to God and God listened to my prayer and God helped me but they continue to live like the devil. Why would God do that? Except if it's for his common grace and for his purposes and his plans. Beloved, when God delivered Israel from Egypt, they were happy to live as slaves. When God delivered Israel from slavery, they were full of unbelief. They didn't even believe the words of Moses that he came to deliver them from slavery. They didn't believe it. They were living as unbelievers in the words of God, in what God has said he was going to do. So God tells us that the only reason why God heard Israel was because of his covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God doesn't break his covenant. 
That's the amazing thing about God. What God says, He will do. Because He's faithful. Even though we are unfaithful, He stays faithful. That's the awesome thing about God. Now, I know that there are people who use that to try to twist God's arm. God, you have said in your word, this and this and this and this, so I'm waiting for it to happen. I'm speaking it into existence, God. Wow. What arrogance. Yes, God has given us many promises, but what does the Scripture teaches us? Teach us the Scripture teaches us that we need to remind God of His promises. Which means I come to God with humility and I thank Him that He has given us promises and I remind Him, Father, You have said the following. And I remind You, but I think it's more of a reminder to me to remember what God has promised. But when God listened to Israel in their moaning and groaning, it was because of His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because He is faithful to his covenant he will always fulfill what he said he would do God is not a man that he would lie that's the amazing thing about God you see God uh, God hurt Israel because Israel was part of his plan of salvation for both the Gentiles and the, or the Jews and the Gentiles God decided that through Israel the Messiah would come to save his people and the Gentiles from their sin. That's the amazing thing about God. Now look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, And God looked upon the children of Israel. Can you see that? He looked upon the children of Israel. Now how can God be God if he does not see everything that happens? We can say human beings don't see everything. Even if they put up a massive surveillance system all over the world so that governments can know exactly what they, the people in, in their countries are doing, it still doesn't come close to what God does because God knows everything that happens. Every single little thing because he looks and he sees all things. There's nothing that you and I can hide from him. Nothing. It always reminds me of, um, well, it's not just men, men and women, young people who sit with their cell phones and they watch movies they're not supposed to watch, or they look at things that are destructive to their lives, and they think they are doing it in secret, behind closed doors, as if God doesn't see no, beloved, God sees all things. He sees everything. So people ask, if, if God is God, then how can a loving God look at all the suffering in the world and do nothing about it? How can God look at the suffering of his own people and do nothing about it? How can God allow bad things to happen to his people? Psalm 121 says the following. This is a song of a saint. I preached on it before. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. See, God is not surprised by anything that happens on this earth. In fact, God is in control of everything. He sees everything. He knows everything. For he is God. And only when God allows certain things to happen to us, only then will it happen. Because God is in control. You see, God is God. Therefore, we can say with confidence that he sees everything. And if he sees everything, why doesn't he do anything about the bad things that he sees? Shouldn't God react to every single thing that he sees happening on this earth? Isn't that what we can expect from a loving God? Beloved, once again, it's very interesting how People would look to God and expect things from God and tell God things and show God things and talk to one another about God in certain ways because they have certain expectations of God. But they don't know Him. They don't, they don't understand Him. There are certain things that God allows in this world and He allows it because He decides to allow it. I can't tell you why. I'm not God. All I know is that God knows everything and he sees everything and he allows certain things. But his grace has always been sufficient for those who go through whatever times they might be going through. Beloved, we would like to think that God will always do something when he sees bad things happen to his people, but we don't know why God allows certain things. We get some glimpses in Scripture, in Revelation, that God is busy with our character and things like that. But ultimately, God knows exactly why he does, why he does, uh, um, why he does things the way he does it, and why he allows certain things and other things he doesn't allow. God is in control. God has his reasons. You know when I will be very concerned? I will be very concerned if God doesn't see everything. Think about that for a moment. If the almighty God was incapable of seeing certain things on this earth, I would be worried. Because I know, even if God doesn't do anything about a certain thing this side of, of the grave, in eternity he's going to do something. God will judge. There's going to be a day of reckoning. Everything that has been done in the dark will come to the open. Nobody will be able to fool God in any way. God will deal with everything. He might not deal with it now. But he's going to deal with it some other time. I will also be very concerned if God sees things, but he cannot do anything about it. 
Because that tells me that God is not God. So I rest in the fact. I'm satisfied by the fact that God sees everything. He can intervene at any time. But there are times when he chooses not to. In accordance to his perfect will. In accordance to his perfect plan. Which I don't always understand. But it's fine with me. Look at verse 25. And God looked upon the children of Israel. And God acknowledged them. See those beautiful words? God acknowledged them. Now, <clears throat> God knew Israel better than they knew themselves. He knew the ins and outs of the nation of Israel. The Hebrew word translated acknowledged basically speaks of intimacy. That's how God knew Israel. He knew Israel intimately. He knew everything about Israel that anybody can ever know about Israel. God knew. God knows what will glorify him most through us and through Israel and what will not glorify him most through us or through Israel. God knows um, what to allow in our lives to help us to trust him more. God knows. There's no one that knows us better than God. So if God decides that there's certain things he's not going to do in our lives, he's going to allow certain things, it's because God knows us so well. The question is, do we trust him? Do we trust him? Well, are we like Israel? When the new king came and they've been in slavery for so many years already, then they groaned. Because, whoops, the king won't be able to help. Beloved, may we as God's people run to him as the first means, not as the last. These verses in Exodus chapter 2, verse 34, uh, 23 and 25, beloved, clearly teaches us that God was with Israel. He heard them. He remembered his covenant uh, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on their behalf. Uh, God saw them, and God knew them intimately. Beloved, when you and I experience tough times in the future, remember these few verses. Exodus 2, verse 23 to 25. God hears you. He remembers what Christ did on the cross on our behalf. He sees everything that happens to us, and he knows us better than anyone knows us, and even better than what we know ourselves. He knows what is good for us, and he knows what's not good for us. We can trust him with the smallest details of our lives. The question is, will you trust him? Do you trust him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can come to you in Jesus' name. And thank you, Father, for a passage like this where we can so clearly see that you heard your people. You remember the covenant that you made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, Father, that you saw them and you knew them. Thank you, Father, 
that in everything in our lives we can trust you. But I want to pray that you will please help us, enable us not to be like Israel, but rather to, to take what happened to Israel as an example and a warning to us on which the end of the earth or the end of the times have come, that we will not act like Israel and start moaning and groaning and relying on the arm of flesh, but rather that we will trust you and rely on you and you alone. So we pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.